Well, if this isn't a documentary about a man thriving in his homosexuality, I don't know what is. I honestly don't know what is. <laughs> I don't is. know what is. <laughs> Hi, Julian Bezzavalli. Hi, Patrick. Hi. Hey, fam. Come see us on tour. The live show has officially started. Our next stop is Charlotte, June 17th. That show is sold out. I'm so excited. That's this weekend, everybody. I can't wait. After that, we've got Denver on July 31st, Chicago on July 15th, Washington, D.C. on July 22nd, Seattle, August 9th, L.A., August 11th, and New York City closing it down with our Broadway dancers bringing the house down at Town Hall, August 26th. It's going to be great. It's going to be be, It is already great. It's already great. We are thriving in our live show greatness. (laughs) Our live show sexuality? Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Last question, last favor, fam. Join the Facebook group, please. Over 52,000 of your fellow TCO listeners in there just loving on each other. Talking about the apps. Talking about the apps. Talking Talking about your dogs. Yeah, talking about other documentaries and stuff. (laughs) It's a lot. It's fun laughs, good time, as they like to say. Oh, my goodness. Remember that? Uh, Search Facebook for True Crime Obsessed Podcast Discussion Group. That's word. It's a lot of words. It's a lot of, but so is this podcast, honestly. <laughs> All right, girl, what are we talking about today? So this is a documentary that is on YouTube. It's called Debunking the Myth of Patient Zero, the AIDS Super Spreader. Patient Zero was a man, a central victim and victimizer. The most widespread part is the idea that this is the man who introduced AIDS to North America. I don't know whether he actually brought the epidemic to the country, but he certainly was the person who spread it from one end of the country to the other. There's just so much wrong about the concept of a patient zero. The second part is that not only did he cause the epidemic by being the first case, but he was somehow doing it deliberately, that he was trying to spread his infection far and wide across the United States and beyond. He reportedly crisscrossed North America feeding an enormous homosexual appetite with hundreds of liaisons. It's funny to say, Gaeta always used to say to me, one day I'll be a star. Well, he might be a star now, you know, like, he got, I mean, he was known, like, people knew him, but I don't think that's what he meant when he said, one day I'll be a star, darling, okay. This documentary, we're doing this for Pride Month. Yes. This is a story that is very close to my heart. I barely took notes because I know this story inside oh, and out. fantastic. Gaetan Dugas is the guy we're talking about. He became known to the world through the book called And the Band Played On by mm-hmm. Randy Schultz, in which he was vilified as the man, the evil gay guy, yep. the evil gay flight attendant who brought AIDS to America and, and then like, spread it everywhere. On purpose. Yeah, and it's not true. And Randy Schultz is an incredible journalist. He's a gay man as well. He was kind of the victim of the miscategorizing of Gaetan Dugat as yes. well. Although some due diligence would have been. I mean. I know. But we'll get into it. So that that is not what happened. But they say at one point in this documentary, if you're a gay person, you know Patient Zero. Yeah. And if you're not, you probably don't. Yeah. And I don't know if that's still true because I don't know if like young gays talk about AIDS the way that my generation and the generation before mine did. That's a good point. Probably, probably not. not. But like Gaetan Dugat and Patient Zero, until I knew better, was like the boogeyman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. So we get in the beginning, in the opening here, the definition of the word zero. This is chilling. It's chilling and fucking perfect. Yeah, like, this documentary perfect. is so good. The definition of the word zero is A, a worthless thing or person, B, an absence or lack of anything, and C, the starting point slash the absolute beginning. Yeah. Which is like, it encapsulates the AIDS crisis for gay people. All of those things apply to that. Yeah, usually if you're doing, I don't know, like a wedding speech where it's like, the dictionary defines love as, skip it. (laughs) But in a documentary like this, it's a very good use of that that trope, I guess. I love it. So the first person we meet is a guy named Ray Redford. He's a friend of Gaetan Dugas. And again, as a person who like knows the Gaetan Dugas story, it is so wild to see See people who knew him. Well, we meet so many of his friends, yes. not just people yes. who were present in the middle of this crisis, but really dear friends of his and co-workers. Yes. It's really amazing. It's wild. And like Gaetan came of age in Canada in like the late 60s and the early 70s. And like that was a time when it was very, very, very scary to be gay. To like a lot of people we meet to like say they didn't even know gay was a thing. They knew yeah. they were weird or different, but they didn't. It wasn't identifiable in pop culture. Right. You didn't know people. No one talked it about it. 
it wasn't even an option in your mind. No. Like, maybe I'm feeling this way because I'm, exactly. like, that wasn't even a thing to get to. And nobody knew what it was. But, like, as Gaetan is coming into his, like, young adulthood, his friends are like, Gaetan was something different. A man on the glittering edge, flamboyantly and defiantly and happily gay, seemingly unconcerned about what others thought. They call him flamboyant about a thousand a th- times. I was like, where's the Y in that word? I have to type it a lot. <laughs> but he was just out and loud and proud and didn't care what you thought. So he was a flight attendant on yes. Air Canada. Now we meet Elaine, okay? Okay. <laughs> Elaine's lower third is former Air Canada flight attendant in charge. Yes. Now, don't fuck with Elaine. Oh my I God. I think she's in charge to this day. She's the head flight attendant in charge. You and I made the same note here. Her lower third says in charge and don't <laughs> you. Forget it. She runs a tight ship, that Elaine. She runs a very fucking tight ship. We also meet Gatane, Gatan. Basically, it's a woman flight attendant who worked with Gaetan, and their name is basically the same, except she's a woman and he's a man. And she has an E at the end and he doesn't. They spell it exactly the same. We had the same French humor, if you want. We always blame the other one uh, because we're both blonde. And uh, which Gaetan or Gaetan? No, 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 no. I say Gaetan. C'est pas Gaetan. Moi, je suis Gaetan. Non, c'est Gaetan. <laughs> they were both beautiful blondes, and they both loved French to Canadian, do each other's hair. Soaps. And they would like they both loved the soap operas. They would blame things on each other. It's yeah. adorable. All of these people, these flight attendants, and the people who work for the airline loved him. Loved him. And so Elaine, who's in charge, everyone, She's everyone, so zip in charge. it. Um, <laughs> I just love. I love a woman in charge. I know. It's just a flight attendant in charge. That's part of her title. Cue all the flight attendants being like, that's actually a title that we have. That's great, but it's a great title. It's a great title. And she says, you know, Gaetan was out. His family supported him. And that wasn't normally the case with other co-workers because as we know, people are being disowned. Yes. They're being kicked out of their house. They're being hated by their families. And it's like, so like the airline was like a small family. And I was saying, being a flight attendant feels like one of those service jobs where everybody knows each other. And right. every day you're going to war with these people. Yeah. It's like working in a restaurant, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because you're dealing with the public. You're dealing with a fucking in, public. In an enclosed space. At 30,000 feet. Yeah. I mean, and if like- Lots pan- of anxiety. I was going to say, pandemic era air travel and TikTok has taught me a lot oh. about what the fucking flight attendants go through. Oh my God. And they remember, they were going through it, but we weren't watching it on TikTok immediately. Totally. About that idea of there was nowhere to learn or no representation with yeah. gay people or queer people. We hear this, this example. If a gay couple moved into the neighborhood, everyone would talk shit and be like, he likes to garden. He likes to paint. Right. And I'm like, get a life, you fucking losers. You herbs. Like, who's just like, oh, oh, is that the painter? It's like gardener. If Steve and I moved into a neighborhood in the 70s, it'd be like, oh, he likes to do crossword puzzles and he likes to drink. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's the gay couple. You know what? That sounds like a goddamn party to me. Sounds like fun. Everyone be fucking cool. Fran fucking Leibowitz is here. Shut up. Talk you about think, in charge. You think Elaine is in charge. You have a bad Fran Leibowitz. Oh my yeah. God, I love her so much. And she's just like chiming in in this chorus of people being like... If you were a young kid, even a child, some people were children, in say the 50s or the 60s, perhaps before, but I'm not that old, and you noticed in yourself, you know, that you were gay or were a f- you fearfully suspected it, there was no place to find out about it. It didn't exist in the popular culture at all. Being gay just wasn't a thing that anyone, like young kids, even knew existed. And when it was, and I'm just going to call it like 100% not straight, because yeah. it's like gay or like queer or any anything that's 100% not straight. Totally. Like that was, it was perverted. It was always either negative or something to be laughed at. It was yeah. always like an issue to deal with or talk shit about. Dr. Larry Mass is here, and I met him once. He was a gay man who was a doctor in the time of AIDS. Okay. Best friends with Larry Kramer. And he was like the doctor the gays would go to because like nobody else knew what was going on or, or didn't care or right. whatever. And he was the first person to ever write anything ever published about AIDS. So he wrote a jargonistic medical piece and then he wrote the first ever article about it in a, a newspaper called The New York Native. But he's here to say that like when he was becoming a doctor and he like found a definition for the word homosexuality and it was just extreme perversion, he didn't even care. He was just, he says, I was just thrilled to discover that I existed. Oh. That there was a, a, an actual definition for what I am. Yeah, no matter no matter what it was, just any kind of being seen in any way. Speaking of being seen, can we talk about this 1967 documentary called The Homosexuals? I just hear it as The Homosexuals. 
This documentary was put out in 1967. We used part of this in the Pride show because uh-huh. it's in the Pride show. It was put out by CBS, hosted by Mike fucking Wallace. I said, et to Mike Wallace? Uh, yes. Super homophobic. Just talking about like, basically. There's like a warning about how harmful the gays were to society. Yes. And they interview a known homosexual. Wallace says, this man is 27. He's backlit. You can't see anything. He's uh, in shadow. Yeah. This man is 27. He was unable to hold a job because of his inability to contain his homosexual inclinations. He's been in jail three times for committing homosexual acts. If he is arrested once more, he faces the possibility of life in prison. Uh, I know that inside now I'm sick. I'm not sick just sexually. They say it's more harmful than, these are their words, more harmful than adultery, abortion, or prostitution. Unreal. Now, this guy who is, it's so horrible to be gay that he needs to be anonymous, right? Yes. That he was also a criminal. But the, what, they, what they're what they saying is like, if he gets arrested again, he could have a life sentence. But why he's a criminal is because he's gay. Right. So it's not like he's robbing stores or like violently assaulting people. He's It's illegal for him to exist. He's, they're, they're literally picking him up for making out with men in a park. And the reason the gay used to do that is because you couldn't rent an apartment together. Yes. If you brought them home to your apartment, your doorman would know and tell everybody. You'd yes. Get fired. And, like, you could lose your job over anything. If you were even a suspected homosexual before, like, 1970, yeah. you could lose your job just for being suspected to yeah. be gay. I currently live on a cul-de-sac in New York City that was, like, a known gay cruise spot. Oh, yeah? And I'm moving to another one. <laughs> Yes, queen. I just, and un, totally unplanned. Not only is it near Fiona's favorite dog park, oh it's also another former gay cruise spot. <laughs> I love that about you. I do too. Mike Wallace goes on to say, The average homosexual is promiscuous. He is not interested in nor capable of a lasting relationship like that of a heterosexual marriage. His sex life, his love life, consists of a series of chance encounters at the clubs and bars he inhabits. His sex life is love light and consists of a series of chance encounters at the bars and clubs each night. Yeah. Then you're going to tell me that, like, the priests are all on the up and up, too, right? The straights are all lovey-dovey and not cheating. Go oh, fuck exactly. yourself. This is the 60s. Everyone was <laughs> oh cheating God. with their secretary. Everyone. Right. Are you kidding me? I mean, the other thing that they say is that, like, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy that gays were constantly reduced to their sexuality. Right. And they were, like, the idea, and this is real, back in the 60s and the 70s, even in the 80s, the idea that two men could, like, love each other was such a joke that even the gays didn't believe that it was true. Right, right, So when right. you're constantly reduced to your sexuality, then that's all the only way you know how to express yourself. Exactly, exactly. But also, I'm sorry, I'm on, like, a monologue. I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> we came out of a life of sexual repression. Imagine you grow up in a place where you didn't even know what gay was until you were 20. You're never allowed to, like, meet or hold hands or make out with another boy. Yeah. You moved to New York. City, which is full of bathhouses and fucking gays and cosmos, of course you're going to fuck your brains out. Yeah. You know what I mean? I agree. Okay. You should have. Okay, great. <laughs> Condoms could have been invented a little I, earlier. I know, I, think, I know. Whatever. We'll get there. We'll get there. So, but the thing about this homosexuals, like, expose, uh-huh. that was just, like, fear-mongering, but when, when gay people would see, like, it was the first time they saw themselves represented, so they had yes. this, like, emotional whiplash in the moment, sitting on their living room floor watching it, yes. being like, oh, that's me. Oh, my God, that's me. And then feeling terrified <laughs> that people were coming for them or also thinking like as imagine as a little kid being like oh so I am incapable of this oh so I am evil oh so I it's like fuck and that's we get the the term internalized homophobia over and over and over again and like that's what they're talking about all people were brought up being told that being gay was evil even the gays were being brought up being so you internalize that and we get all these men talking about like being gay and thinking I mean this is a quote someone says I mean I remember myself thinking in the late 50s when I wasn't sure, you know, what was going on with me. Um, I decided it was a phase I was going through and I would just enjoy it. And if I was still gay when I graduated from college, I would just commit suicide. If I don't grow out of this, if I don't, like, move past this, then, like, there's no point in living. Exactly. <gasps> and Fran Lebowitz says, like, people nowadays don't get it. Being gay was against the law. The law like, it truly. wasn't just frowned on. It was against the law. Yeah. You would lose your job. There was no one to protect you. And the, it wasn't even just, like, if you got found out. Like, they're saying the cops were in the bars trying to entrap these people. Yeah. And one of the guys goes, you could definitely tell which ones were the cops because they were too they hot. They were too good looking. They were too good looking. Can you imagine being 
being like Jim and Frank at the local precinct. Yeah. You're like, fuck, they're the good looking ones. We're going to send them into the gay bars. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so stupid. But then I, I thought you would like this where they're just like, yeah, we were like asking the straights about the game, not even knowing like what big game was on. Oh my God. But they yeah. were trying to not be found out. So trying to have like what they was quote, like heteronormative conversations of like, yeah. hey, big, uh, big sp- Big sporting game, huh? Right. It's a big, it's a big sports papalooza. Like wow. In the birdcage. How about those dolphins? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong response. Um, but it was basically just trying to be like, hey, sh- hey, fellow straights. Right. <laughs> hey, I'm straight. I don't think that cop over yeah. there is good looking at all. Yeah. Those flowers look terrible, by the way. Right. I didn't work hard on them at all. Okay. And that painting is ugly. It's very ugly. I am straight, just like you. So that's what life was like before Stonewall. Now we get to Stonewall, and they say to us that like the younger generation of gays were like what the fuck is this like absolutely fucking not right and also a a thing about Stonewall that goes a little under the radar is that it was the evening of Judy Garland's funeral yes which is something I mean that's like very well known in my community of course (laughs) but I'm just saying like just in case you don't know that I just love that they made a point to point it out here because in other documentaries they're not just like which by the way well because the night of her funeral the gays try to downplay that because they're like no we weren't mad we weren't just like in a bad mood because it was Judy's funeral like we were fucking pissed. No, I'm not you know, implying that they were. <laughs> Why are you being so homophobic? I just think it's a nice little cross section it is. It is. of like people and their feelings and also realizing we're not going to fucking take this anymore. No, and like, I'm sorry but like if I'm at a bar at this point, it's midnight and the cops are trying to shut it down, absolutely You've not. You've been drinking all day? I'm throwing a fucking riot. I'll throw a riot right here. You think I won't? How much more can we take? <laughs> I, I threw a riot last yesterday up in the break room. You most certainly did. <laughs> Stormed out. I did storm out. Stormed out. I came back though. You did apologize, which was I mean, I was major. right, though. It was major. I wasn't arguing with you, <laughs> so you don't were, look at me. Were, I didn't <laughs> do anything wrong. Two guesses as to who was ar- actually arguing with me. Open a business with your bum, spouse, bum, they bum, say. Bum, 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 <laughs> we'll know about this guys. gay marriage. Oh, but speaking about not know- knowing about gay marriage, Anita Bryant's here. Fuck her. So Anita Bryant is this, like, infamous ex-beauty queen homophobe. Ugh. And she says, I love homosexuals, if you can believe that. I love them enough to tell them the truth because I know that there is hope for the homosexuals that if they're willing to uh, turn from uh, sin the same as any individual, that uh, that they can be ex-homosexuals the same as there can be an ex-murderer, an ex-thief, or ex-anybody. You can be an ex-gay the way you can be an ex-murderer or an ex-thief. There is a video of a gay man throwing wonderful. a fucking pie in her face. Yeah, that go video, go watch it on YouTube. It is he throws the pie in his face and just puts his hands up and lets the cops take him. Normally, away. I don't condone that kind no, of thing. No, of but course, it's, it's her. I mean, Anita Bryant had a fucking coming. Of course, she did. My God, this piece of trash. So the airlines, or at least this one, hired a lot of gay people. One person says, like, they were so gay at one point, Air Canada was 70% to 85% gay. And they're like, they were really good workers. <laughs> Which I was like, wait a minute, what? what? Like, you can say a lot about gays, and I feel like I have a pretty good work ethic, but, like, I don't think that, like, as a group, we're necessarily known as, like, great workers. Well, the flight attendant, I wonder if it was just, like, because they could sort of maybe in that line of work be more of who they are. I think they were just happier. It was like that that Gatane lady who says it was a hard job, but the gays were extremely hard workers. Well, the, what? The thing that that woman and also Elaine was like, I appreciated working with Gatane because I didn't have to follow him around. I didn't have to say, well, you know, this is how we're supposed to do it. Why are you taking shortcuts? He didn't need any handholding. No. He did his job. He yes. was a self-starter. It wasn't like, is this right? Like, he doesn't need any help. Like, you tell him something once, like, he knows what to do. And that, having that kind of person around, I have to tell you, puts everyone in good spirits. And I gotta tell you again, like, knowing about him as long as I did, thinking of him as the evil villain. Now, it's been years and years since I've known the truth. Yeah. But, like, to meet all these people who know him, who describe what a beautiful, amazing person he is, it's incredible. I'm so glad this was made. Yeah. And so this is where they say flamboyant again. But, like, (laughs) he wore, like, I'm sure you're saying, like, what does that mean? Uh He wore really tight clothes where someone goes, you could see everything. He would take the uniform and get the next, like, the smaller size. Smaller than he actually was. So everything was tight, tight, tight. They said he would flirt 
flirt with everybody on the plane, mm-hmm. and everyone wanted to bang him. Everyone. Everyone wanted to boink him. Everyone. The gays, the straights, he could get any guy. Any anyone. He was wearing <laughs> eyeshadow and mascara, yeah. and he stood out, but he was like nice and fun. And someone was like, how do you even define charisma? Like, he was just like, walking. Like, everyone wanted to know him or be around him. And, and you see pictures of him, and I'm like, oh, I know like eight twinks like that. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're just like skinny and cute, and yeah. they're flamboyant. And just like happy to be there. Like, and can happy bang to be anybody. And can bang anyone. Speaking of, let's go to the 70s, shall we? <laughs> As Michael says, the 70s were just fabulous. Yes. Because it was a lot of sex, a lot of drugs, and also no knowledge of how dangerous those two things can be. Okay, I'm calling bullshit on this. He's like, we did so many drugs, but it's okay because it was before we knew the drugs were bad. Michael. By the 70s, we had an idea. By the first time you do the drugs, you know it's a bad idea. But they didn't know, you know, it was just because like... The point, to your point before, (laughs) they say that, like, gay men had to prove that they, it was like gay liberation. So do your part and let's fucking bone. Well, Fran Lebowitz says she, now Fran Lebowitz, lesbian. I would be, like, walking out with a friend of mine, a a man who's gay, and I would be talking to him and then he would be gone. You know, and he would be like, he saw someone in the street, they looked at each other, they left. Wait, did he just make eyes at that guy and now they're fucking in a doorway? Yeah, yeah. That happened all the time. Yeah, and like all the sex was anonymous and we hear that you didn't know if the person was, as their example, a truck driver or like the VP of Chase Bank. Fran also says, we thought sex was good for you, like kale. <laughs> sex is like kale, good for you. Good for you. And drugs, apparently. And dr- yeah. 70s were wild. You know, <laughs> Sex, drugs, and rock and kale. And kale. <laughs> Kale could be really good, though. I like a no, kale salad. No, kale's disgusting. Why is it disgusting? Kale is that vegetable that, like, if you're going to eat it, you have to, like, massage it for an hour. It's so, it's so rough. How about if it gets served to you at a restaurant? I, mm, I can't do kale. I, it's too rough. Oh, I like it. Oh, my God. God calm down. <laughs> Are you going to storm out again? Because I, I said nothing look, wrong. I'm standing my ground, and when I tell you all later what I stormed out about, and you will find out, oh, you're going to be on my side. Well, Steve better be there. I was <laughs> not involved in this. I stormed out. I, I haven't done that out. in a long time. So there are gay clubs all over the world, and also like famous people would be there, like Rock Hudson, who for some reason no one knew was gay. They said that like they're at the like the baths, the Continental Baths. Bette Midler's performing out Hell there. Yeah. They're in the back rooms with like they hear somebody open one of the doors. <gasps> it's Rock Hudson. Right. Fucking what's the other one? Elton John. Elton John's there dancing next to the other guy. In the middle, Calvin Klein. I know. <laughs> so these gay, you know, London and New York and San Francisco. And so Gaetan was very sexually adventurous. Yes. And his what he liked was just having, like, experimenting with what they say, no responsibility. Which is mean, like, emotional responsibility. Something that is true about Gaetan, and we should not gloss over, he was a very, very, very sexual person. Yes. He was out there having as much sex as he possibly could. He, he loved that people knew that about him. And he was traveling all over. So, like, as a flight attendant, he would meet someone on a flight. Yes. You know, like, because he was traveling a lot, it was easy for him to, like, literally, like, get around. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Truly. Like, physically. Truly. Exactly. And, like, he wasn't alone. Like, gay men all over the world were doing that. Yeah. It was because, called sexual liberation for a reason. Right, because he was the flight attendant, but there was someone on that flight who fucked the flight attendant. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. it goes both ways. Exactly. Um, and there, in many ways, probably. Yeah. Um, but, like, he was, like, making bets with his co-workers, like, who's gonna screw, who, like, who, like, it was just, it was a major part of and his life. because, like, in the 70s, the gays weren't really pairing off very much. Right. Somebody does the math for us. He says, well, you know, if you scored, say, two nights a week, and you did that for a year, that's 100 people. So from 71 to 81, that's 1,000 people. Your average gay man probably had sex with 1,000 people in that decade. And I'm sure Guitard Dugas had sex with many more than 1,000 people. A 1,000 sexual partners in a decade. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, like, the gays weren't getting into relationships, and they were, like, young and virile and right. going to the bathhouses. Because, like, getting in a relationship meant that, like, people would know. So, like, anonymous but sex also, was... they had been trained that that wasn't even possible. Of course. You know, like, they didn't believe that they could fall in love. They didn't believe... That they... And they also, like, there was a lot of pushback against, like, well, we're gays. We're different from gays. We don't even want that anyway. Exactly. You know? Right, right, right. Exactly. Gatan was so sexual that one time he was traveling with Gatane, yes. his lady counterpart, and they're walking through the airport and his lube falls out of his bag. Yeah. And he's like, oh, can't go anywhere without that. I mean, but truly, it's like a, that's a true story. His lube fell out of his bag. Was he embarrassed? Nope. No. Why, why should he be? Exactly. That's just lube's a weird thing. You know what I mean? Is it? I, is it not? I don't Are we think talking it is. about lube now? 
Um, yes. Okay. Like, this is the, this the, the gay sex episode. Stop looking at me in the eyes when we talk about lube. Look at me directly no, in no, the eyes. I Why? I'm too embarrassed. Lube is great. I agree. Stop. Please. What is wrong with you? No, it's great. Lube is great. Can I, can I tell you a secret? Tits. <laughs> Does that feel better? Yes. I don't know why we can't talk about lube. We can. Let's move on. Warming lube is great. Okay. Okie doke. What's the problem? I don't know. This is very unlike me. You're <laughs> Be a prude. I don't know why. Oh my god! Let the record show I am pro lube. I who isn't pro lube? <laughs> I mean- they say they make the point that the sex was great and very abundant, but the amount of like the the focus on the sex was also a missed opportunity in the seventies. Yeah, which would have been a coming together of the gays and like to like sort of claim their place in society. Right, like they were very focused on boinking. But as the seventies wore on. And the commercialization of gay male sex exploded. You no longer had to care about the movement. You could just come in, get your rocks off and go. And it didn't really force you to um, think politically about um, this being an opportunity for America to move forward in terms of its empathy and understanding and bridging all these divides that the culture creates to keep us apart instead of united. Less focused on, like, becoming a political block or becoming, like, you know, just getting out there and, like, integrating and becoming a part of society now that now that it was a little bit more accepted. And I think it must be exhausting to have to make everything, like, a teachable moment to the society yes. that has been very clear that they fucking hate you. Like, as a yeah, whole, like, totally. obviously there were people who were cool with, like, you know what I'm saying? Of course. But, like, in that community, I can only imagine that it was just like, you know what, fuck you. I'm going to fuck him instead, literally, totally. and it's going to be great. Yes. And, like, why should it be there? I mean, we're living in this time right now a lot like why should it be the marginalized community's responsibility to teach everybody else no a million percent like i, I mean a million percent just go have fun be safe out there <laughs> totally so that was the 70s and now we're getting towards like the end of the 70s early 80s and we hear about gay cancer because the thing is that lifestyle of drugs and partying and sex like yes. while there might there might be some fun memories it's not sustainable because no. it is dangerous it is dangerous and you know we see larry mass's piece called rare gay cancer and it was like the first article ever written on this like weird thing that people were hearing about like mostly in New York but a little bit in LA like in the big cities and it's early 1981 the 70s are over and like quickly people are dying but nobody knows of what and we're seeing like some people are having rashes some people are getting cancer nobody knows why but it was only affecting gay men that is the constant and that was the definitive thing that they knew so it it would start with a rash and then there would be like swollen lymph glands that would be in their neck and under their arms and then pneumonia and so it was just sort of escalating really really quickly and these doctors are like there was no easy explanation for it it didn't make sense but only gay men were getting it so like what's the connection here also like this Kaposi sarcoma was a, this yeah. rare skin cancer Delusions. that like they used to say it would affect like old men they you'd see like 20 cases of it a year but in the last 18 months more than 300 cases have been reported the Kaposi sarcoma that was affecting the younger gay men as part of this emergent new condition of that became known as AIDS was far more aggressive. Now it's a really, really aggressive yes. version in young, healthy gay men that's resulting in like purple like lesions and yeah. bumps all over their bodies. Just like a pop culture reference, just if you need a visual, Tom Hanks had a lot of that in Philadelphia. Yes. That was something yes. that really showed like how his body was deteriorating. Like yes. there were those lesions on him. So it was mostly older men at first, but then younger men started getting these lesions and it would be all over their body, not just their hands and feet. And they're making the point that like the gays don't know how to stop this because they don't know how it's spreading. Which is terrifying. It's terrifying. And this is where we start to get the experts and all of these experts that we meet, like Jim Curran, Larry Mass. I'm surprised that Anthony Fauci isn't in this because he's a major, major part of all of this. They're all major characters. Oh, uh, Marcus Conan. They're all major characters in And the Band Played so yes. they they were all there. Selma Dritz, we'll get to her in a second, yeah. played by Lily Tomlin in the movie. I, I mean, I'm getting amazing. chills. I, know. I, I just even, did too. I know, I can't stand it. And the Man Played On is like a, a decent movie version of a fucking great book. Yeah. Except for that one <laughs> diversion yeah. where they make it look like Gaetan Dugas was evil. And he's right. not, and which he's is not. why we're here. But the point is, like, it could very easily seem like you were getting this whatever it was just for existing while gay. Yes. And because there was no real definitive, it was confusing. And it, again, it was like only gay guys. And so it was like everyone's biggest fear who watched that thing in the 60s, the homosexuals, like, 
is this it? Like, is this part of it? But then the gays were thinking, like, maybe it's poppers. I'm not going to go into what poppers are. If you don't know, just give it a quick goog. Yeah. It's basically sex drugs that the gays love. They love it. I've never done poppers. I haven't either. I would imagine not. But then they were like, was this the CIA? Was this an urban myth? Let's let's ignore it at all costs because it's a, it's got to be a it's got to be a right wing plot. Maybe it's a right wing plot because all of a sudden, like all of the people in the right wing, all of these horrible conservative anti gay people, suddenly were like, "See, we were right all along." Right. The slogan, literally, I am not making this up. This is not a funny joke. If you're with kids, put them away. Mm. The slogan was "Gay is the disease and AIDS is the cure." Jesus Christ. That was a thing that was said to me when I was a kid. That's disgusting. Yeah. That's fucking vile. So we learn about, so it's the summer of 1981. The Centers for Disease Control starts putting it together that it's a sexually transmitted disease. And they don't have any scientific evidence of it, but they as immunologists, like the people who are responsible for this, like the public health people, they can sort of see what's going on. Because there are three men in L.A., and they all have the same symptoms. And they learn that all three of them have, they've all had sex with each other. Exactly. So they're thinking, the CDC's like... Let's start here. So they go to LA. The CDC, now, it cannot be overstated. These experts from the CDC were going to the locations to, like, interview these people. Mm -hmm. Whatever their thoughts on gay people and sickness like this be damned, they were doing the fucking work. Yeah, for the, for the medicine and the science. and Because at the, because still, people are dying and people are sick. Well, like, they and, need help. And also, honestly, the real concern is that this is an epidemic affecting a small community. Mm -hmm. If this becomes a pandemic, and, like, if it becomes airborne, one guy yeah. says everyone is then dead. Then we'll really have to care. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. So I want to give them credit, but also so, like, they're trying to save, like, the general public. Right. As we'll learn, they call everybody who isn't gay. Right. So they start investigating this, and they're trying to connect these other sexual encounters to the spread of whatever this thing is. In the effort to prove that this is sexually transmitted. So a patient comes in, and he's a flight attendant, yeah. and he tells them about this other flight attendant from Air Canada. And basically, this guy, what he says is he walks in and he says, I had sex with Gaetan. But he doesn't know his name. Right. He just he's says... Like, he's a sexy guy with a sexy accent. He's very attractive, yes. and I just know that he has a lot of sex, so he's a flight attendant. He could be anywhere. And, like, the fact that he's a flight attendant is important. So they say, all right, let me look at one of the other guys on this on this piece of paper, they go to his house. Oh yeah, I had sex with that sexy flight that attendant. That hot funny guy. Yeah, the hot funny guy with the, like the sexy accent. Me too. They go to a third person the same his day. His coworker has kind of the same name. Totally. <laughs> He's very skinny. Yeah. They go to the third guy. The third guy's like, I had sex with him on Thanksgiving, eighty-seven oh nine club, and afterwards I came down with hepatitis. And then he came back in December. I had sex with him again, and I bet that's when I got this disease that I've got now. What's his name? He says, here it is. And this is the first time the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, sees the name Gaetan Dugas. Right. So this guy's, like, little black book, essentially, helped track Gaetan down. Right. So they find him. And the thing about Gaetan Dugas, and this is in And the Band Played On, he was very helpful. Mm -hmm. he yes, was, yes, he yes. Was, he was not feeling well. He had had fevers. He had had swollen lymph nodes. He knew people who had died of this gay cancer. He wanted to help. And it's really important here to point out that he was the 57th yes. person identified by the CDC as having these symptoms. Right. Meaning there were 56 other people before him who the CDC had identified. Right. And lots of people believe, due to false information, that Gaetan Dugas was the very first person to ever have AIDS in America. That's not true. And spread it. That's, why, like, the, that's one of the reasons why he was known as patient zero. It's not true. It's not true. 57th, that they knew of. Right. They will eventually say, if he was showing symptoms, and he was the 57th, that there was already 250,000 people infected. Easy. Yeah, easily. easily. So, again, he's being very cooperative. He's very concerned. He yes. just had chemo. His friends are dying. So he says, he's like, look, let's talk about it. Let's talk numbers. And because he was so open, like, there wasn't any, he had no shame about what his sex life was. And, and because the doctors were speaking to him like a person. Right. And they, they were grateful for his information. And Gaetan Dugat famously had a little black book. Yeah. And so he, like, the doctor is sitting with him interviewing him in his home he goes and gets his little black book i said would you mind sharing the names with me he said no i'll be glad to and he started reading me names he read me 72 names before he said it's 6 30 i've got to go 
He gives them 72 names. Yes. They make this point in the end that when we get this big cluster study that we'll talk about where Gaetan is kind of the center of it, which is another reason why people pinpoint him as like the original infector. Right. But the only reason he was at the center of that study is because he was the one with the black book that had all the addresses of the people he had had sex with. Because he wasn't like, maybe it was quote anonymous, but he wasn't ashamed. He wasn't hiding it. Right. So he sort of, and because it was like a little bit of a game, like they said, he would say to his coworkers, like, who do we think is going to get whatever? So he was like keeping track in a fun, sexy way. And because the study was based on his black book, right. obviously he's at the center of the study. Of course. It's wild. It's wild. We learned that he was averaging 250 sex partners a year. Yeah. Does that sound like a lot? 250 partners a year. If you're like a single, I'm trying to imagine, if I was a single person, I can imagine a world where I was like, hooking up twice a week. I don't think that's a lot. I don't think so. No. I, th- I really think it is truly like a personal preference. Like, yeah. I think the number is a lot, but just because it's a lot doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. Do you know what I mean? No, like, yeah, 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 it's yeah. a high yes, number, yes, yes. but that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. If you do it safely, everyone, please. I, I just have never had any judgment about this. Yeah. You know? You know how we talked about how great lube is? Condoms also. Condoms, Condoms are, are my great. first favorite thing. But you know, <laughs> honestly, the, like, the, like, gay men never even, uh, never even entertained the idea of condoms pre-AIDS. Because it wasn't designed for them. It was for not getting people pregnant. Exactly. So. And no one, like, and and still we should say at with the point that we are in the story, no one is really even saying out loud to the gay community yet, this is sexually transmitted. No the gays one. still don't know that. Right. But it's still being called the gay-related immunodeficiency. So until, like, 1982, it was called GRID. Yeah. Gay-related immunodeficiency. Then there was an ARC for a while. Like, it took them a while because calling it GRID made it really sound like just a gay thing. Right. Which is very, very very dangerous to the quote general public who believes that they couldn't get it. Right. And like by bisexual- punishment also. You right. Know? But like the non-gay male population needed to be made aware that like any human being can get it in the right circumstances. Right. Or you know, people who don't get or weren't like a hundred percent straight and they're experimenting. Like right. it, it really but didn't also affect- blood transfusions, right. like intravenous drug use. Like yes. we didn't they knew none of this yet. None of it. So eventually it becomes acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Yes. As AIDS, as we know it now. Okay. So by summer 1982, because Gaetan Dugas, the CDC is looking at him as like, he's got a lot of sex partners. Yeah. He should be having less sex, right? Yeah, no. We had this hotline on Castro Street. And this patient would turn up. The minute he did, the hotline would light up. He's here. He's having sex with people. He tells them he's... He uh, has the gay cancer. The CDC sets up a fucking hotline in San Francisco for people to call and rat out Gaetan Dugas if Gaetan. they see him in the bathhouses. And, and they people did. do it. They narc on Gaetan. Yeah, because like he he didn't want to be told what to do. Right. And he wanted pr- like prove it to me because that it, this is sexually transmitted. Now they're starting to say that to him. And this is where we meet Selma Dritz. And she was the head of public health in San Francisco or something. She had some important title. She was a woman who did the fucking yeah. work. Yeah. If you ever bring that back, you got to do a posthumous episode about totally. her. She was a woman who did, she just got her hit. She would march into the bathhouses yeah. and demand it to be closed. And the, the gays were like, you hate gays. And she's like, I'm just trying to actually keep you alive. <laughs> and the gays were like, well, prove it to us that this is sexually transmitted. And she's like, we're working on that. And they're like, well, until you can, we just think you hate us and yeah. you're trying to take away our sexual liberation. That is the crux of this issue. And also like, can you blame anyone? Like, no. You know what I no. mean? And that's like, that is Gaetan's whole thing here. Yeah. He's like, I love to fuck. It is my right to fuck. Yeah. And until you tell me that I'm actually, until you can scientifically prove to me that I'm harming people right. by doing that, I'm not going to stop. And it's not 100% out of the realm of possibility that this is just some conspiracy theory by the right, right way. You know what I mean? Like, and we've seen this in other marginalized groups. Like, marginalized groups do not trust the government. And, right. I'm not defending his behavior. I think there's a value in listening to scientists. Of course, of course. But, of like, course. Uh, you know, we're saying that with a 2020 hindsight having just lived through a pandemic with a government that I happen to actually trust. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not giving him a pass here, but no. I understand I can at least, like, understand where he's coming from. We're just from. trying to explain the context of the time. Exactly. And it was very scary, and it was very oppressive, and it was fucking sad. Yeah. You know, and we get this whole other sidebar about how, like, it's all of these medical people telling them to stop having sex because, yeah. you know, they're, they're saying it's sexually transmitted. The gays are saying... I totally understood the terror that gay men had about AIDS pushing us back into the arms of the medical establishment. It was only in the very early 70s that um, 
that uh, homosexuality was no longer seen as a disease. It was taken out of the, uh, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association. And so doctors had always been trying to cure us. So the gays don't want to listen to the doctors because they're like, you've led me astray my whole life. Right. I don't trust you. Right. And like, what are you trying to do to me? What are you trying to convince me? Because, exactly. like, you know, when we this is where we get, like, these horrifying stories of, like, hospital workers not bringing food into the rooms of these patients. Because my mom is gay. I was raised during the era of AIDS yeah. by a gay person. I know all these stories. And, like, the nurses wouldn't come into the rooms. And they, you know, like, the lover and the partners were legally barred from, from coming in or, or making funerals. or making final like last decisions. Imagine you and Mike the number of years you've been together sure. and his mother who disowned him 20 years ago right. comes in and gets to decide whether yeah. he stays on life support or not. And that like to me that's all such a huge it's on such a human level of yeah. like the it doesn't matter. Right. Like even it does like if someone's dying it doesn't but matter. But you know what though what we saw during that time were the the families taking out their rage and their yeah. own anger at the themselves on the right. the lovers of these people. Right, right, right. And you know who came to the fucking rescue? The lesbians. Yeah. Now I'm going to cry. The <laughs> lesbians were all like nurses and they were the caretakers and gay men had spent decades saying, like making fun of lesbians and not including them in the community. And the lesbians like came, Rosie O'Donnell goes on and on about yeah. this all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How like the lesbians were the people that were there for the gays in their hour of need. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why I love the lesbians. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I feel like every pride season I have to go on my lesbian you were do. there for us in the time of AIDS monologue. Pride, we don't we do this shit in February. Shit in October. All year round. By 1982, Gaetan was very sick and one of the ways his AIDS was manifesting was with cancer. Yeah. And so he was getting like rounds and rounds of chemotherapy and he was like losing weight and he lost all of his hair but he's still like convinced he would beat it. And this is where we get the statistic. This was mind-blowing to me. 96% of all the people I saw then died. Smallpox, Ebola only kill 60%. And we were talking about virtually everyone was going to die. The deadliest diseases that we knew of to, up to this point, like smallpox and Ebola, killed only 60% of the infected. They said AIDS was killing 95%. Jim, which I said, I don't know anybody pre-cocktail, like the medication, that saved yeah. like, I don't know a single person that didn't die who had it. There are definitely— Who, like, came back from it yes, in the height of it, Without yeah. medication. Right, right, right. I think it's a I think it's 100%. But, I mean, like, those just, like Ebola only kills 60%. That's obviously a staggering number. Of course. AIDS kills everybody who has it. I I mean, okay, so the Reagan administration didn't want to acknowledge it because then they'd have to talk about gay people. I mean, it's just so <laughs> or, crazy. Like, or care about them and anyway. What's so wild about that is that Rock Hudson is famously best friends with the Reagans. And Rock Hudson was like, obviously he wasn't out. He was a famous movie star, if you don't know who he is. He was like, he was like the Hugh Jackman of his day. And he was known as, and because he was gay, yeah. his whole vibe was like, quote, a ladies' man. So, right. so the whole thing was like, how can, like, but if he's Rock like, Hudson's gay. A confirmed bachelor who never settled down. But like, there's always some gorgeous. Just woman on his arm, you know, right. it was but just that like kind Liz of... Taylor, who was just like his like best gay girlfriend, I mean... and he of course famously dies of AIDS right. in like 1985 or something. But you know, the the Reagan administration was not only didn't want to acknowledge it; they were so fucking heartless. We hear this press conference. This where, press conference. It's in October 1982, and it's like the communications director is like talking about something else, and a reporter says like, "Have you heard about this like gay plague that's happening?" He, he, he's asked about the epidemic, and the his response is, "What's?" That. And the right. reporter pushes back and says, so at least 600 people have died and it's known as the gay plague. Over a third of them are It's known as gay plague. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, it's a pretty serious thing. That, uh, one in every three people that get this have died. And I wonder if the president is aware of it. I don't have it. Are you? Do you? You don't have it. Well, I'm relieved to hear that. Do you? You didn't, you didn't answer my question. How do you know? Does the president, in other words, the White House looks on this as a great joke. The press secretary for the president of the United States is laughing and making jokes and is trying to do like crowd work as a comedy bit. It's and unreal. essentially says no homo. Right. I mean, there there are to there, people dying. If you read in the band played on the scenes within the Reagan administration are so inf you can't believe yeah, you can't believe it you can't believe it you can't believe it.
Now we're back to Gaetan, and like they make the point that Gaetan is recognizable in the Vancouver gay scene. Yes. You know, his lesions are bad. Now he's really recognizable because he's bald, because of the chemotherapy. And people were narking him out. They were people were narking him out. Yeah. And it's, it, it is a little bit like it's one thing for him to not trust the doctors, being like, you should slow down a little bit or yeah. stop altogether. But when like your fellow homosexuals are coming up to you and being like, girl, we're all taking a beat. Yeah. <laughs> Could you stay home just like one Tuesday? And I, and I think. I think just based on what I've learned here that his his thing is like don't punish me for being helpful right I'm being helpful and talking about my sex life in an open way and now I can't do the thing that is helping you find out all of these because remember he was the 57th person to talk to the CDC and he gave them 72 names he gave them a lot of valuable information and we'll also learn later and I don't want to forget to mention this because I didn't know this he makes a right before he died he made a special trip to Atlanta where the CDC is mm-hmm. to give them his blood yeah because he he was like someday I was I had chills I would sh- I stopped yeah. it so I could show Steve they show us the vials yeah, of yeah, Gaetan yeah. Dugas blood it's crazy it is so and what we learned from it oh my god they sequence it it's there's crazy. so much it's to tell crazy. you but it was, it's just wow he really did help he, and he wanted to help but he also really 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 did not want to stop having sex and he just also didn't want to be told what to do by the government who hated him and like would be okay if he died but in some sense the thing that's that's so sad about that is that like he wants to like fabulate in his homosexuality yeah. I get it but like everyone now including like fellow gays are saying to him like you're hurting us you're though hurt. I know I you know, know I know like I know you want to express yourself and you want to be yourself but you're also hurting the community right right and it's getting so big like now again like we always say like the hindsight of 2023 and knowing the full story yes but it was getting so big that even in the moment people were saying like he was recognized is- he was he was the face of like stop fucking and like this is bigger than us and like can yes. you just can you just hold tight for a little bit like yep. just jerk off for a little exactly. bit please like the feeling was that it was getting so big and they could feel it like yes. in that moment and it was becoming like overwhelming now we have to talk about this next thing for 45 the minutes the forum yes because we see we see like news footage it's a guy named Michael Pappas who's like it's like a news thing good evening I'm Michael Pappas with Channel 10 Gablevision Vancouver there was a recent panel discussion in Vancouver. On the panel were doctors and other men associated with the AIDS problem. <laughs> the cable network that he works for is Gablevision News. Okay. Gablevision perfect. <laughs> I said I'm dead. I will never recover. But this guy, Michael Pappas, is covering a panel on AIDS in Vancouver. And... I'm going to try to get through this and I'm going to try to get through this like succinctly and clearly because none of this is talked about in the documentary. I had never heard of this panel. I didn't know this existed. And so, but just to say like what it is, it's like they're letting the gay men in the area know what was going on. They're asking them, please, as like a public service, please try to limit your sexual partners. It's gays to gays. It's like the gays are on the panel talking to the like gathered gay community. And they're introducing the idea of safe sex. Yes. That it, please try to pull it back. If you don't want to or you can't, then here are ways to be safe about it. About it. So they say, as a throwaway line, oh, they invited a guy from the gay men's health crisis in New York City. Gay men's health crisis is like what the New York gays did in response to the AIDS crisis. Yes. Larry Kramer we is like the founder. We learned about it. Yes. But the co-founder, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm like getting chills talking about it. The co-founder is this guy named Paul Pompum. Now, if you know anything about the inside of my brain, <laughs> then you know that I've memorized every, like every minute of like the early 80s, I'm like yes. obsessed with. Yeah. So Larry Kramer who like the, the mean screaming queen. He wants to turn this car around way back in yes. the early TCO days. He's like, stop fucking, I will kill everybody. Yeah, yeah. Like that. He's, he's that <laughs> yeah. guy. And then Paul Pompim was like his counterpart at Gay Men's Health. He was like the good looking, strapping one. He was the one that would actually get invited to like meetings with the mayor and Larry wouldn't get to go. <laughs> but before all of it, before any of this, back in the 70s, Paul Pompim, are you ready for this? I'm so ready. Paul Pompim was the original A gay. Paul Pompum was the most popular gay in all of New York. <laughs> I'm getting chills! He was so like, like you read any history of gay New York yes. in the 70s, yeah. Paul Pompum, Paul, Paul Pompum, Pompum, Pompum. Yeah. I had never really seen a picture of him before. It's also a very great, very memorable name, I know, too. So I like, know. when you hear and like, Paul, oh, right. So like, like in this documentary, they're like, oh, they invited some guy from Gay Men's Health Crisis, and then his name popped yeah. up. I screamed out, Steve like threw his head off. He's like, what is going on? I'm like, Pop. <laughs> <laughs> I like look, I'm so obsessed with like how cool yeah. he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like the fucking bee's knees, a gay bees Paul Pompum, and he's here. And so he's here saying, please be safe. 
and fucking Gaetan Dugas is in the audience. I, this was the two of these people who live rent free in <sighs> yeah. my brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no reason to believe they had ever met. You see them in the same I tiny room. I see them in room. the same room. Somebody's done the editing for me. I'm yeah. watching them scream at each other. Because he, Gaetan comes up and he's like, here's the thing. Here's why that's not going to work yeah. for me. And they're arguing. They're not screaming, but yes. they're like yes. having a heated debate back and forth. And we see the footage. But if you have a all studies indicate that, and it's not everybody, so there is a, a chance of risk involved, but the majority of the people are fairly promiscuous. It is wild. I'm trying to like think of a, I'm trying to think of an analogy that will mean something to people. Like imagine learning that like some famous figure from your favorite time, like in history. Beyonce. Let's say, let's say Beyonce. She's like a universally known, loved person. There's no reason to believe that she ever, ever met Kim Kardashian, right? And there, and then. say Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, whatever (laughs) it is. Somebody like from the same time, but like you're obsessed with both of them and you know both of their backstories and all of a sudden you're watching a documentary where they're not only in the same room, but they're screaming at each other. Yeah. It is. It blew my fucking mind. I got to tell you, I really fucked up that analogy for you. <laughs> I walked all over it. I ruined it. It made no sense at all. You were doing great. I should have kept my mouth shut. The point is, I just, I could, I like this gay, the gay history nerd in me, it's just, I can't, I'm sweating. Because it's, un- it's unbelievable. It's it un- really is. It it's, is it's unbelievable. unbelievable that the two of them were in the same room once. And like, they could have just because told also. They were the two hottest gays of their time. Yeah. That's the other thing. Paul Pablum was like the fucking hottest gay yeah. of the 70s and 80s. He's doing Italian hands. I know. And like Gaetan Dugas, the hottest Canadian yeah. gay. Yeah. They're in the same room. And like, they don't even know. Someone could have told that story, but we I know. see it. I know. We I, don't just hear, like, we see it. God, happening. do you think anyone listened to any of that? Yes. <laughs> do you think they skipped through all of it? No. I just, I cannot believe there's video footage of them in the same room. That's all. And basically, Gaetan, this is like getting to the end of his life where he's like, really pushing back and really being like, fuck all of you. I, and people are like, it wasn't my job to cut the mic, but like somebody should have told him to shut up. Right, because now he's saying like... It seems like there was a kind of a fear towards those people here that who couldn't have the same film or he had the same film or he had the disease. He was saying to them, prove to me that this is how you get it and then I'll change my behavior. But until you can prove that, I'm not going to change anything. We're not, like, telling you have to be celibate forever, but can you just hold tight until we have some more answers, please? And he's just saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And then, like, bada bing, bada boom, Gaetan Dugas dies on March 30th, 1984. Like, he just spirals from there. He's very, very sick. And he, and in the end, he just dies, like, a slow, painful death. So now, the week of his death... I can take this if you want me to because the ahead. cluster study is like it's also huge. lives the cluster study also lives rent free in my brain. Go ahead. So I don't mean to take it away from you. Go ahead. So the week that Gaetan Dugat dies, the cluster study is released to the press. The to clu- the press. The cluster study. The significance of the cluster study is to it's meant to be the proof that AIDS is sexually transmitted, mm-hmm. and the clusters are basically like. It's a cluster, meaning a group of men in this area that all have had sex with each other and they all have AIDS and a group of people in this area and they all know each other and they all have AIDS. And they basically are able to connect everybody through this cluster study to say, if you have AIDS and you had sex with this person, this person now has AIDS vis-a-vis, this is a sexually transmitted disease. So it shows 40 men that were linked by sexual contact. The link in the middle is Gaetan. And he is is case 57 or also known as the out of California case. Remember that. Remember that. And also remember the only reason he's in the middle here, meaning all of the sexual contacts sort of come out from him, is because they were all based on his black book. He gave 72 names. It's not like it was was a random thing where they picked a bunch of men and Gaetan is in the middle because he was the one who had the most sex. They all came from him. So remember, Gaetan was known as... He originally was called patient 57, then patient O for out of California case. And that's the way it was shown and displayed to my colleagues at CDC. A few months later, everybody's talking about patient zero. And I don't know what they're talking about. The guy who wrote it, the guy who put together this cluster study, put O for out of California, hands it off to the rest of his team, and they're like, oh, zero. Oh, and, oh and, and, right, that makes sense that he's zero because he's, he's in the center of the study, which means he must have been the first one of all of these people to have AIDS and gave it to everybody else. So... 
A clerical error, a misunderstanding, turned case 57, which is what it should have stayed, yes. to patient O as an out of California, and someone sees that and says, oh, patient zero. And now, the doctor who made this cluster study was not calling him patient zero. No. He wasn't identifying him that. He didn't think that he was that. No, because, but also just because of the way the cluster study looks. Of course. Gaetan, patient... O right. is in the center of it. Right. So all of these scientists think that that the doctor who put the study together is calling him patient zero because he was the first and gave AIDS to all of the rest of the people in this spider web of, of a cluster study. So now we meet Randy Schultz. Yeah. And the thing about Randy Schultz, he's this amazing investigative journalist. He was the only person writing full-time about AIDS in the United States at this time. Yeah. And he is also gay. And of, of course, this is like affecting his life. So he wants to take all of the good work he's doing for the San Francisco Chronicle and turn it into a book. Because he says the biggest enemy is time. Yes. And so he wants to like make this happen as fast as possible. Because he thinks if he writes this book about how the Reagan administration turned the other way and what we've learned through the science, then like we can get the information out to people and things will actually change. Right. So the book, of course, is And the Band Played On and he has access to all of the doctors here. Mm -hmm. Everyone that we've met, everyone that we haven't met, he's gone to every important AIDS meeting. He's interviewed everybody in the Reagan administration. He has access to everybody. And one of the things he becomes fixated on, he looks at the cluster study, sees the O, knows this person is called patient zero. Mm -hmm. So he, like all of the other scientists, assumes that patient zero is the person who gave AIDS to everybody else. Uh, what I don't understand is how it can get so bad so quickly. Like yeah. the doctor who did the cluster study, yeah. who someone misunderstood the O for a zero, yeah. did he just like passed this off and then wasn't involved at all? I think we hear him talk about this a little and he kind of says like he didn't think it would ever be important because had Randy Schultz not written this book, yeah. no one ever would have identified And he thought it was God. like an internal like so just it doesn't matter Because the point of the cluster study is just to prove that it's sexually transmitted. It right. doesn't matter how many people had sex with how many people. Sure. It's only because Randy Schultz wrote the book and wanted to get to the bottom of who patient zero actually was right. that we're even having the conversation. So they write the book. Yeah. And what happens is the editor the editor of the book tells us this story about being at the office and Randy's been working on this book and his assistant comes running into the room and is like, this is great, but like no one's going to care about this. Yeah, no, we're not going to get any publicity and like it's just about like gays, like nobody gives a shit anyway. Yeah. So like what are we going to do to get some traction with this book? So the editor calls a friend and says, like, will you read this book over the weekend and tell me what we can do? And this this friend is some ex-boyfriend who just happens to be an out-of-work publicist. So the boyfriend reads it and he's like, look, this book is 400 pages long. You guys mentioned this patient zero person and tell his story on 11 pages. Out of 620. Out of 620 pages. But the boyfriend says, you pull this material out, you gather it together, and you present it to the New York Post, a miserably homophobic newspaper. The story has everything they want. It has beauty. It has death. You know, he's an airline steward. And best of all, he's a foreigner. He said they're going to eat it up. This is the story about, like, how AIDS came to America mm -hmm. and the big, bad, sexual, slutty gay guy yeah. who, like, basically foisted AIDS upon and all of us. And doing this on purpose. Yeah. And so the editor's like, huh, I don't think Randy's going to go for this. Randy, the author. Randy's like, this is not a great idea, but is basically talked into it because Randy did write that because he was misinformed. And they send it to the, quote, miserably homophobic New York Post. Yeah. Because they send it, because this is an all press is good press kind of move. Right. That's how, that's what they're thinking about it. So if they send it to the New York Post, they are going to put this everywhere because they hate the gays and they want to vilify them. And oh yeah. my God, we have a target. Okay, great. We'll sell books. Like that's that was the idea. And it worked. And the band played on becomes this huge bestseller. And, and it did the good work. It told the real story, except the only thing it got wrong was that Gaetan Dugat wasn't patient zero because there is no patient the zero. The headline was the man who gave us AIDS. Right. That was the headline, front page news. And like, there is no such thing as patient zero. And the one place that Randy Schultz really is, I think, at fault here is it doesn't seem like he met anybody who knew and loved Gaetan. It's true. Because the way that he's portrayed in the book is like this like evil, mean guy Slutty. who gets the gay cancer and now because he's mad wants to give it to other people. There is a scene, I remember reading it in the book, they talk about it in the documentary, where he says like, he's at a bathhouse and he has sex with a man and as he's cleaning himself up, he says, I have the gay cancer and now 
you will too. Yes, that's which is famous. A, yeah. It's a totally fucking made up it's scene. Stupid. It's not true to who Gaetan was at no, all. No, 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 no. And so it's kind of like where we land with this is that like there is no such thing as patient zero. That's not a thing. Randy Schultz kind of like told the story that he gleaned from this study that was misinterpreted by scientists because it wasn't trying to tell a patient zero story. It was just trying to tell the story that AIDS is sexually transmitted. Right. And they extrapolated Gaetan's story incorrectly from this study and then it got published in that book. And now we get a bunch of doctors and scientists debunking that whole idea. Yes. So here's this is fucking this is fascinating. The yeah. This is like, it's called debunking the myth like here we are. <laughs> so, well we did a little bit but here we yeah, are yeah. like sci- scientifically. When you see somebody sick with AIDS what you're seeing is the result of something that happened 10 years before. And when you see somebody in their mid-80s where we now were, the result of getting infected in the mid-70s. And that's true. That's what happened. So this was like a slow-motion epidemic that had taken place in the past, and what we were seeing was a result of that. So the cluster study makes the assumption that incubation is two years, right? right? And so, I, I grew up with that. That was what I thought, too. So Gaetan had sex with these people within two years of their diagnosis. But AIDS really takes 10 years, which means that if you're sick in the 80s, you probably got infected in the 70s. Exactly. And so knowing what we know now, the cluster itself is bullshit. Right. Because except, a, that it, except that it does show that it's sexually transmitted. Right. But the time... So like A infects B. Right. B doesn't get sick for 10 years. But if B gets sick within two years of A, then A could not have infected him. Exactly. Because so, he got it eight years prior. So the the thing, so the cluster shows what it always was intended to show, which was, oh, wow, this is sexually transmitted. Right. Let's go from there. Yes. And see how long and see how the science and how the human body works. But then it just became fucking crazy. And where they are able to actually prove that not only is there is there no patient zero, but that Gaetan Dugat definitely isn't that. Remember how he gave all of his blood? Yeah. So they they test the blood, they sequence it. And they said, they, they put it in layman terms, which I really appreciated. They say if he was patient zero and all of the infections came from him, the sequence would have looked like a tree stump and right. everything grew out of it, right? And they say like when you sequence his blood, yeah. it just falls right in the middle of the tree. It's, it's like a random... It's just like what it's anybody... Else, it's random in the group. It's what any other people's blood from that time looked like. It's, it's like not exceptional in any way. It's not center. It's no. not like... And the thing, like once they learned, oh, 10 years, or that it could be that... Things start to make sense, like why, like one partner would have it and another one wouldn't. Yes. Like how did that work? And there, that was very confusing at first because yes. it was like if we were having sex up until, like, how did I just get it and you didn't? Like, right. what, what is it about me? Like, what does that mean? And so that that learning that science and yeah. having that out there is massive. And like that's the story. Like it is so close to my heart. Of course, it is so. I mean, again, I was raised by a gay person in the AIDS era. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like I knew people with AIDS before there was any kind of medication for it, any treatment for it. Sure. My mom had friends die. I mean, I knew people who were there one day and then weren't. Yeah. I just was so happy to meet people who knew Gaetan Dugas through this documentary yeah. to really learn about him, to really like get to see pictures I'd never seen before of him, to like, I, I wish this movie was more widely known because I do think that like people still think of Gaetan Dugas and the band played on the HBO movie was very popular. So was the book and yeah. people think he's evil and he did this and and that he did it on purpose and yeah. it's not it's not true. none of it is true yeah maybe i've never said this i don't think but maybe like share this with a friend if you want to like yeah, this episode or, or totally. just like watch the documentary because there's so much more to it and I don't know like share the link it's on YouTube like I watched it for free with ads it's like you can you, it's very like the story is very accessible yes. if you want to learn about it and it's, I hope you do it's a fascinating story it it's, is. it's a good watch too you know what yeah. I mean once we got into the debunking I was like wait what I was on the <laughs> edge know. and I just I kept know. getting like wait when, oh my god it's it, it's just a ra- oh my god when I saw vials of Gaetan Dugas' blood I was I was like hysterical all day today. We also do see at one point like a very extreme close-up of a needle in someone's vein. Uh-huh. Please no. Can we not? <laughs> we don't need that. Talk about a fucking jump scare. I, I was already very much on edge. Can we not yeah, with the close-ups of the needles no, in the veins? No, we don't need that. I, you can do, the, you get the job done just no, fine yeah. without scaring and having my heart jump out of my, my chest. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. 
Oh my God. This one has a long one. What's it called? It's called Patient Zero Debunking the Myth of the AIDS Super Spreader. Oh my God. Fam, come see us on tour. We're going to be in Charlotte on Saturday, June 17th. That's sold out. But look in the Facebook group if you're looking for tickets. There's yes. always people who like can't make it. So And we have dedicated posts and threads yes. about trying to get tickets. And don't try to sell them for a ton of money. No, it's no, no, it's no, no, all no. very moderated. Yeah, so exactly. Don't be a jerk about it. And then Denver, July 13th. And then you can see the rest of our dates on our website, truecrimeobsessed.com. That's right. I also have a couple more dates with my traveling book party. Tell them, tell them. I'm going to be in Nashville on June 21st, and then I'm going to be in Detroit on July 7th, St. Paul on July 8th, and then London August 4th. Portland, August 10th. That is sold out. That's it for the year for me. Oh, wow. I know, before Obsessed Fest. I might add a date or two. Of we're we're yeah. working on it. Come on. Uh, go to patrickfails.com. Click on the See Us Live link. That's See great. Me Live link. Yes. What are we doing next? So we are doing, you know that show Behind the Headlines? We've yes. done one. So this is the Carlina White story. Who's that? This is about the baby who was kidnapped <gasps> at birth, and then she finds her birth yes. family. We talked to Carlina. We talked to her family who took her, and we <gasps> talked to the family that she came home to. Oh my God. So this is really, it's like all of their perspectives and how it affects everyone. But this is like one of those famous cases about yeah. the, the the person who's like, is that me? Like uh-huh. that missing child. Like it's it's really, really crazy. So we do a deep dive. Oh my, all right. Stay tuned for the trailer for that fam. It's and then our, our funny and hilarious outtakes. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Happy Pride, everyone. Happy Pride. <laughs> oh, go find a gay person and give them a hug or a okay. kiss. Or, or just, just a 100% not straight person. Totally. <laughs> Don't hug any of them today. Yeah, they're fine. We love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. It's a story of grief. Will you please bring my baby back, please? <laughs> and longing. Carlina was always be on my mind every day. Betrayal. Where did you get me from? She destroyed my life and my family. And discovery. Now to an unbelievable reunion. <laughs> She made this happen herself. She's the hero in this. I got my answers now to things that happened in my life. But Carlina White's newfound family faced some hard realities. Now, for the first time on television, Carlina, her birth parents, and the family that raised her tell the true story behind a reunion that captivated the world. Documentary on Netflix called Pretend It's a City, which is a doc- it's a six part documentary series about Fran Lebowitz, and it is worth every minute. Is it excellent? It I'm is sure. Absolutely, and the line, the the title "Pretend It's a City" comes from her frustration walking around New York behind like slow fucking tourists, yeah. to which she will go up to them and say, "Pretend it's a city. city." Let's keep it moving. <laughs> Do not piss off Fran Lebowitz. Do not piss her off. Don't do it. They were saying, like, maybe it's something we could give up. Exactly. Right? Like, so, like gluten. <laughs> maybe <right>. it's gluten. <laughs> um, and to all of you people who, like, actually have to be gluten-free. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Totally. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, no, I'm not gluten-free. I'm just saying. And then Steve. What did he say when I left? I said nothing. <laughs> and then he said uh, something about logistics. <laughs> and I said nothing. And I uh-huh. sat down. Uh-huh. And he thought about it. Uh-huh. And then he said, I better go. And then he went out and chased after you. He came and found me. He chased you. Yeah, I mean. Doesn't matter. I was right. Right. 